So good to see you all. Isn't this, I mean, the journey we've been on for the past, say, three years, isn't there just something about 2023 that makes you want to look around and go, okay, guys, we made it. Uh, Look around you. We are still standing. We are still loving one another. We are still worshiping together. We've, We've made it through a tough time, and I can't help. Sometimes hope is such an encouraging reality in my heart, and sometimes it just seems like a cruel traveling partner that won't let me go and just give up. But nonetheless, it's still alive in my heart, and I still anticipate that we have wonderful seasons ahead of us uh, coming into this new year. And because I do read through social media posts, and I read books, and I read articles, and I listen to interviews, and I talk to a lot of people, I know that there may be a spectrum this morning, whether you're here this morning or you're watching online or you are time traveling and I'm talking to you sometime in what is the future from Sunday. Uh, I know that, that you know, there's a spectrum of where we are. Some of us may be in a place like I am today where we're encouraged and we feel anticipation and hope for what is lying ahead. I don't always have those days where I feel that way, but I'm in that season now. And, but I'm also aware that there are many of us that have gone through uh, uh, trials and challenges recently that your faith is nearly unrecognizable because there are so many things that you've kind of lost faith in and you've lost hope in. And this morning, I just want us to do a simple meditation about recentering ourselves and recommitting ourselves to remember that forming our lives around the living Christ is the point that we are pursuing. That our hope, our faith is in Jesus. And there are a lot of things that are connected to our experience of the life of faith. And those things are noble, they are necessary in and of themselves. They are neither righteous or unrighteous. They're just the reality that comes from living a faith perspective that is somewhat organized. Um, But we have to routinely remember, though, that ultimately our faith is not in how kind church people have been to us. Our faith is not in the quality of the consumer church experiences that we have. Our faith is not even dependent upon believing one set of dogma all of your life and never questioning it and never change it. Dogma and traditions, these things are part of our faith, but they're not the core of our faith. You can be hurt by church and still wanna love Jesus and therefore still wanna participate in a community. And, and, and Jesus may still may be calling you to serve in a hurtful community so that you grow as a human being and you learn to extend grace and forgiveness and walk with people that have hurt us knowing that we've also hurt other people. And we're going to grow through that together. But the only way that can happen is if our expectations isn't for everyone to be to us what only God can be. And so therefore, it's good for us to remind ourselves that all of these externals are great. And really in, Amer- in contemporary America, there's no easier time to be a Christian. I mean, you, you can completely immerse yourself in a Christian ghetto if you want to and just have all the podcasts. And now, now we've even got good movies and good, you know, the chosen show. Hey, we can do this well if we want to. Uh, and so we've, we've, got, we've got good material to consume and so forth. It's very easy, but all of those things can also be a distraction as to 
Am I just being emotionally stimulated by all the Christian media at my fingertips? Or am I on that old, ancient path of faithfulness where I am walking intimately with Jesus day in and day out? And therefore, that is where our hope lies. And so it's always critical that we are evaluating where we are in allowing our lives to be formed around Christ. Jesus must be the focal point of our faith. And there's a term that I want to throw out, and I hope that in two or three years, it will no longer seem like a weird phrase because we've become so accustomed to it. And I'm afraid you're going to be hearing it a lot in 2023. And the phrase is spiritual formation. Now, if you've Depending on your background, you may be very familiar with the concept of spiritual formation, but other backgrounds probably have gone through their entire traditions and not heard it talked about. You've heard it talked about in concept, but they may have used different language. Spiritual formation is simply living a rhythmic life of practices that keep us centered on Jesus. That's all that it means. It is that we recognize the ultimate goal for all of us is found in Romans 8, which is that the Spirit is using all things for our good of conforming us to the image of the Son. That is what the Spirit is doing at all times. And the Spirit is using good churches to do that, and the Spirit will use bad churches to do that. The Spirit will use healthy friendships to do that, and the Spirit will use friendships in which we feel betrayed to do that. All of these things, this is, the, this is the hope of our faith, is that all of these things, even those things we term a negative, are not lost in the grace of God. The Spirit is using those things to form us into the image of the Son. But that is the goal. The goal isn't to figure out how to get God to allow me to have pain-free relationships. The goal isn't to figure out how I can get God to make sure that I never feel financial pressure. The goal isn't that I, uh, I figure out how to get God to move in my life in such a way that I never feel bad, my joints never ache, I never have a grumpy day just because I just feel yuck. These things are not the goal. The goal is to be conformed to the image of the Son so that you can be the body of Christ into whatever context in which you have been called. And so what we want to ask ourselves, we want to recognize there's a part of that mysterious work that only the Spirit can do. And we recognize that. We can't save ourselves. We are dependent upon the work of the Spirit in our souls and in our lives. But that doesn't mean that our choices, that we can't make choices that either move us toward deeper partnership with the Spirit or we make choices that, may, that create obstacles to what the Spirit is trying to do and therefore create a little bit more hardship for ourselves. So we want to be mindful. So that what am I doing then to cooperate with the Spirit's goal of conforming me to the image of the Son? And so this morning, we're just going to ask ourselves, what is our plan for spiritual formation in 2023? And that formation, again, has to be centered around Christ. And we're going to reference a few passages this morning, but let's, let's begin with one that we looked at recently in 2022, Colossians 1, 15 through 23. And all of these passages, they're both in the notes, and they'll be on the overhead as well. Colossians 1, 15 through 23. I just want us to meditate on this and remind ourselves of this truth. He, meaning Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. 
For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or rulers or authorities, all things were created through Jesus and for Jesus. And Jesus is before all things. And in Jesus, everything, all things hold together. Jesus is the head of his body, the church. Jesus is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything Jesus might be preeminent. For in Jesus, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. This is why as Christians, as followers of Jesus, we are very committed to arranging our lifestyles and our, the practice of our faith around going more deeply into our experience and understanding of Jesus. Because we recognize, and this is the great mystery, this is the story arc of the Bible, in Jesus, the fullness of deity dwelt. And where is Jesus now? He is in you as the hope of glory. The one who contained the fullness of the divine is now the one that fills your soul as your hope of glory. So do you see how intimately your connection with your creator actually is he is so saturated around your life that he's like the air in your lungs or the blood flowing through your veins. It's necessary to sustain your life, but it's so intimate that sometimes we don't even think about it. Sometimes we're not even aware of it. But even when I'm not aware of oxygen, it is still sustaining me. And you, your soul is so intimately connected to God, it's such a sad thing that any of us ever labor in seasons where we feel unwanted and alone and unloved and undeserving. Because that can never be existentially true from any of us. Because in Christ, the fullness of deity was pleased to dwell, and Christ is in you as the hope of glory. Jesus' incarnation, which we just celebrated through the Christmas season, is God's primary vehicle through which he reveals himself to us. That's my primary thesis this morning. Jesus' incarnation is the primary vehicle through which God reveals himself to us. So, if you are here moving into 2023 and you need to renew your faith, then I would suggest you need to simply re-Jesus your faith. Most of the time, our discouragements with our faith come from getting our eyes off of Christ and on something else, either a doctrine that offended us or the way we were treated at a church or the way that a friend of a friend of a friend was, was treated at church. You know, we take up offenses for people we don't even know when we hear these stories. It can be all of these, uh, all of these various challenges to our faith, but the truth is none of that can separate you from Christ and that the heart of our salvation and our hope is Jesus himself. And so I am not saying that you might not need to heal. I am not saying that you might not need to have hours worth of conversations with friends as you process your challenges. I also believe that there are going to be a need for therapists trained to address 
religious trauma increasingly in the years ahead because I think it's a very real presence among us. And many of us are suffering from religious trauma in ways we don't even understand, but we think Jesus is failing us. No, we've just got some trauma we have to work through. And that might mean some counseling, some prayer support. I'm not belittling any of that. But what I am saying is that ultimately, our hope is not in the perfect circumstance or church experience. It's in deepening our roots into the love of Christ. We have to, if we want to renew our faith, then we have to be constantly living a rhythm where we are re-Jesusing our faith. And yes, that's not a real word, but we're going to make it one. Here's another passage that celebrates this reality. Hebrews 1, 1 through 4. Long ago, at many times, and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. You kind of see the similarities between the Colossians passage and this Hebrews passage here. He is the radiance. In fact, I'm going to stop reading he and read Jesus in to remind us. Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God. And Jesus is the exact imprint of the nature of God. Jesus upholds the universe by the word of his power. And after making purification for sins, Jesus sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. This is a really critical point, and it's going to be increasingly critical for understanding even the philosophy of ministry and our approach here. We want to live from this conviction of the absolute centrality of Christ. I am so proud that the name of our church is Christ Community Church, my prayer for 2023 is that we would even more faithfully embody our name's sake because, and this is important to grasp, the primary revelatory vehicle of many other religions is their sacred text. But for Christians, our sacred text serves to deepen our understanding of Jesus because Jesus is the clearest and most authoritative revelation of God. Therefore, our goal is not simply to teach the Bible. Our goal in all of our, in all of our study of the Bible is to deepen and inform our experience of Jesus. That we understand that the written word is there to serve the glory of the living word. And it's very important that we understand the difference and we don't put those on equal status. Because once we do, we've taken our sacred text, which is supposed to be the vehicle through which we deepen our understanding of Christ, and we set our hope in the same level of authority. And then in fact, we're committing religious idolatry. The scriptures need to be studied, but so many of us have lost our passion for the Bible because we try to make it our savior. And when the Bible didn't save us, we thought, well, I like Jesus and I like church, but I'm done with the Bible. I know because I've heard that narrative 250 times probably. And I want to say that I understand it, 
But just because we misappropriated our devotion to Bible instead of Jesus doesn't mean that the Bible failed us. And it doesn't mean that the text is worthless. No, that text is there as for our benefit as a gift from God. And it is the declaration of the, of the faithfulness of the history of the people that have participated in our religious faith who had come before us, but it was never intended to be our savior. It's supposed to point us to Jesus, who is our Savior. So just because I misplaced devotion in the Bible doesn't mean the Bible failed me. And one of the ways that we read Jesus our text, I mean, read Jesus our faith, is coming back to the Bible with a fresh paradigm, with fresh eyes, almost like a child willing to dig for its treasures. But that is not the paradigm as seeking it as a rule book by which we find the rules for how we're supposed to live and judge the living standards of others. That is not what this, the sacred text is for. It's the revelatory vehicle for Jesus. Now, that's a bold statement, so let's, let, let, let's, 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 let's look to a, a few more uh, scriptures. These are all the words of Christ. John 1, 14 through 17. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. I don't want to overemphasize this because I'm really not cranky about it. I don't care that we use terms just for functionality. But it is important from time to time for us to remember the word of God that's referenced there. What's it referring to? Jesus. This is not saying the Bible became flesh and dwelt among us. That's not what it's saying. The word is the living Christ. That word became flesh and dwelt among us so that we could see God with clothes on. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as the only, here we are, only what? Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore, bore witness about him and cried out. This was he of whom he said, he who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. For from his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ doesn't mean that Jesus competes with Moses. It simply means that Jesus is the fulfillment of what, Je what Moses was writing about. And so we recognize that the goal is to be a living experience of the grace and truth that comes through Jesus Christ. Here's another really important verse to contextualize this, and I hope begin to spark a new passion for the scriptures. John 5, 39. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me. You see the correction he's saying? You think the sacred text brings you eternal life. It doesn't. The sacred text is there to bear witness about me. And I didn't put it in here, but I should have. The very next verse, verse 40 says this but you are not willing to come to me so that you 
may have life. Now, what has Jesus just said? If you're just going to the sacred text and leaving your journey there, you're missing the point. And you're trying to get from the text what it's not intended to do for you. The text is to point to me so that you will come to me to receive life. It may sound strange to say it, but what Jesus is highlighting here is that there is a limitation for how far the scripture is taking us. And we must read scripture in light of Jesus. The Bible can't save us. Only Jesus can save us. And what I'm saying is, I'm not saying, therefore, the Bible is unimportant. I'm saying the Bible is so important that it's really critical that we not try to make it do for us what it's not intended to do so that it can have its proper place of honor in our spiritual formation and in our pursuit of the life of faith. Yes, the Bible is necessary, but the Bible doesn't save us. Those scriptures don't contain in themselves eternal life. That is only found in Jesus. And the sacred text is intended to inform and direct us to the living Christ, not to an, a memory of a, a historical figure, but to direct us into the presence and the embrace of the living Christ. Um, there's another great story about the scriptures and their relation to Jesus. It's found in Luke 24. And if you were raised in church much, you probably are familiar with it. If you're new to the faith or haven't been in an evangelical church, you may be unaware of it. Really fascinating story. It's about two disciples, and they're not, they're not part of the main crew. Uh, they're not part of the 12. They were just part of the larger crew. And they're perplexed because Jesus has been crucified. He's died. And this is not what they were intending that their, that their revolution that's not how they expected their revolution to end. And so these two disciples are told, and this is after the death of Christ, and unbeknownst to them after his resurrection, and they're walking on the road, and they're just perplexed, and they're talking about it. And all of a sudden, a stranger appears on the road, and he starts walking with them. So then they start, and so and the stranger's like, what are you guys talking about? And, and they say, how is it possible <clears throat> that you've been anywhere near Jerusalem and you are uninformed of what we're talking about. And they begin to share their consternation. Well, he begins to engage with them in a conversation and he begins to take them back through their sacred text. Only he re-envisions the place of their sacred text and he brings this revelation. This text isn't about Israel. It's about me. And he begins to show them that. And the, the story goes on to say that as Jesus was talking, the, the, their souls came alive. The word that they use is that our hearts began to burn within us when he opened up the scripture. So then they want the stranger to stay and keep talking, and all of a sudden, the dude disappears. And at that moment, they realized that was a living Christ walking. And even though we were followers of the historical Jesus, we didn't recognize the living Christ whenever he was walking right beside us until it was revealed to us at the very end. So let's read how they interact with those ideas. The first one, it's in Luke 24. Let's look at just verse 27. It says this, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them the script, all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. 
And then Luke 24, 32 is when they make that great statement. They said to each other, did, I, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us, uh, to us the scriptures? My friends, we must read the scripture in light of Christ. The law and the prophets are not destination points. They are part of a journey that crescendos in the incarnation. Thank you. <laughs> and I think that the scriptures can still do that. But here's been my failure, and I will confess it to you. I have allowed a particular system's interpretation of the Bible to limit my understanding of the love of Christ. And now, what I'm striving to do is to position myself in a place where I allow the revelation of Christ to determine the generosity of the Scripture. And I think I'm on the corrective path. I read Scripture for rules because it made me feel safe and it made me feel superior to those I deemed morally inferior. Now, I'm reading the Scriptures so I can enter into this great story that now I've become a part of, and this story was supposed to be pointing me to the generous love of Christ the whole time. And like those disciples on the road to Emmaus, I didn't recognize that's what it was about. I'm ready to walk with Jesus and let him open up the scriptures and show me that they're all about him. I, I am ready to open the Bible, and rather than finding ammunition to win a theological battle, I just want my heart to burn within me as it causes my adoration of Christ to increase. And I hope and pray that we all are part of that journey as we honor the scriptures for what they're intended to be. My friends, this is why we stay involved in church, because the most important role of the local church is to lead the community into formation in Christ. Here's how Paul reminded us of it in Colossians 1.23. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard. Now look at that passage for just a minute. Let it penetrate your mind and heart. Because if Paul is saying the words if, if you indeed continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, and if you are not shifting away from the hope of the gospel that you heard, what that means is it's possible to be tempted to not continue in the faith to be unstable and unfaithful and to shift from the hope of the gospel that we have heard, which is why the gospel as primarily about Christ is central to our ongoing experience of the hope that keeps our faith alive. Now, as we come to a close and talk about some practical ways, I want to end with this thought that I encourage you to pray over and ponder. The gospel is the message of Jesus. 
not simply the message about Jesus. And this is very, very important. And maybe this is an idea we needed to study, we need to study and dive into a little deeper. It's just gonna be introductory this morning. But do you know that the gospels proclaim that Jesus preached the gospel? Most of us were told the gospel is a set of facts about Jesus that he himself didn't actually preach. His primary message wasn't about dying and sin atoning and raising from the dead. Now, that's part of it because it's part of his story. I'm not saying they're unimportant, but I'm saying when Jesus preached the gospel, that was not the content. And we've been told that is the content of the gospel. Well, then, if you're gonna put, make a list of preachers that were unfaithful to the gospel, you need to put Jesus in there because we're told he preached the gospel, but his content was different. What was the gospel that he preached? It was the gospel of the kingdom. It was the word that the kingdom of God is here and it is among you. You can't see it because it is within you. It's been here all the time, but I'm here to tell you, you all are missing it because it cannot be built through the dominant structures of man and power and money and influence. No, it's a kingdom that is only accessible to the extent that you're willing to return to the innocence of children. And if you are not willing to live in the innocence of children, you won't be able to enter this kingdom. My friends, this is what the gospels say Jesus preached when he preached the gospel. Now, conquering of sin, resurrection, conquering of death, the living Christ, is that unimportant? Of course it isn't. That's not what I'm saying. But when we've truncated the gospel to information about Jesus, we're not being faithful to the gospel Jesus was preaching. We have to preach and live the gospel of Jesus, not a gospel about Jesus. And we have to recognize that those two ideas are not the same thing. Jesus preached the gospel himself. He preached the gospel of the kingdom because Jesus' incarnation is the primary vehicle through which God reveals himself to us. So if you need to renew your faith, then I humbly suggest that you read Jesus your faith. Now, how can we do that? So glad you asked, Mike. Uh, I, I have a few thoughts in mind. And, but I understand, you know, it, just a few minutes, because I'm, I'm, I'm still thinking about those black-eyed peas and spinach that I got to get down uh, before the day ends today. Certainly, I hope you all are planning to do the same. So these are just some practices that I've been returning to. This is not an exhaustive list. I'm not saying you have to do all five of these. I would be very pleased if I were to be brought out to coffee and you shared with me your experience with just one of them. But these are the things that have slowly began to put my soul back together after it was deeply damaged and rearranged. I'm just not the person I was eight years ago. And becoming this different person required a lot of tears and a lot of pain and a lot of lonely moments. And there are times, I, I wonder if it was an improvement on the person I was eight years ago. But nonetheless, that is where I am today. I'm not the same person I was eight years ago. And uh, 
a, a lot of that damage came in the context of church life. But hope won't let me let go of Jesus. And slowly, the Spirit has been faithful to meet me in the dark night of my soul. And the answers that he gave were so basic and simple. But these are the things that have been putting my soul back together. Number one, get outside. Now, I know there's not a chapter and verse. I even thought about doing something clever like putting in a Psalms about the heavens declaring the wonder of God and blah, blah, blah. But I thought, oh, that's just trying to be, that's belittling the scripture by using it to make a point, which evangelicals really like to do. I don't want to belittle the scripture that way anymore. But it works. But get outside. We just weren't meant for controlled environments all the time. We were not meant for comfortable seats for our tushies and, and indoor climate control. I mean, some of that's great. I'm not saying get rid of it. I'm not a Luddite. I'm not, you know, I'm going to go home and sometime today I'm going to use my remote control to see what Michael Scott is doing at the office for the 11th time through. So I'm not trying to beat something I'm not, but I am saying that something began to change when I just got outside. Look, we could have coffee and we could go in a deep dive in all the weirdo YouTube videos I've gotten into about the benefits of the outdoors. I'm gonna spare you for that in a sermon. But if you want that over coffee, I'll do it. But I am just saying, I am as your brother bearing witness, this began to heal me. In fact, I don't think that we can be spiritually optimal without working in a rhythm of bathing in nature on a regular basis. I just don't believe it anymore. It's one of the first things when people want help or counsel about something is how often are you outside? And if they say rarely, I say, we don't need to talk about anything else until you do that. And turn off the alerts on your phone. And you don't even have to use that time in a holy manner. Just take a 15 minute walk, breathe the air. And then as that becomes a habit, let Jesus walk with you on the road every once in a while. Let, let, let him talk to you about the reality of your soul, not concepts and dogmas and ideologies, but just about who you are. Just go and think for a while. And, and, and I implore you, don't put stupid things in your ears to block out the beauty of what's around you. Don't do that. Walk, and if you see someone on the trail, Hi, sir. How are you? Fine. How are you? Speak with them and then continue walking. But first and foremost, if you want to reach Jesus, your faith, get outside 10, 15 minutes a day. Walk out because that is God's cathedral. These things are man's cathedrals. We did these things. We do this architecture. And yes, in part to point to the glory of God, but also in part to point to the glory of man. This is not God's cathedral. Rock outside that door, go down to the prayer garden. Now you're in God's sanctuary. That's God's church. So get out there where he dwells for a little while. Secondly, and you know what? This is gonna be a bonus because if you want to, you can make points one and two the same activity. Number two, find 
your sacred space. I believe that every inch of the cosmos is holy because every inch of the cosmos hosts the presence of God. But for our own rhythms and for our own attention, there are places that we can set aside that become sacred to us. You know, if you read throughout the Old Testament, anytime God did something, one of the first things the individual, the recipient did was create an altar of remembrance. Create sacred space, whether that's a spot in your home. I loved it after we saw the war room came out a few years ago, several years ago. And unbeknownst to me, it was such a joy one day to open up the closet that was in the spare bedroom uh, of our house to see where the girls had turned it into a place for a prayer where they were expressed worship in pictures and where they wrote their prayer requests for a season that was their sacred space. So find your sacred space and stay there. That's the space your phone is not welcome. That's the space social media is not welcome. That is the space where you go to allow your heart and mind to have both the joy and the solemnity that are equally present whenever we seek to faithfully follow Jesus. So find your sacred space. Number three, engage with the scripture. Not as a question and answer book, not as a cookbook for success in life, but engage with the scripture as devotional literature. Take time to learn how to read metaphor and discover the metaphors that are in this story from Genesis to Revelation that repeat over and over and over and over. And these metaphors, they come out of a particular context, but once they become metaphors, they're universally accessible to all of us. That's when I can say, I know this scripture isn't about me, but I can see myself in the story because metaphorically, I mean, I've never walked through a desert for 40 years, but I know that my emotions have felt like I've walked through deserts for years. Most definitely, I get that. I was not part of the chosen people of God that complained about the manna, but I've certainly been a person blind to the blessings that God has given me because I became bitter about my discomfort. So, so I do look for the metaphors that become a universal invitation in this story of faith that other people have shared for years and millennia before us. Take time to learn Lexio Divina. We'll talk more about that in just a few moments as we close. But I'm putting the phrase in your notes because there's all kinds of websites you can go to learn about Lexio Divina. It's one of the most ancient practices for discipleship that the church has utilized across multiple traditions, times, and cultures. Four, this is revolutionary. I say that tongue-in-cheek because it became revolutionary for me. Practice truth-speaking in prayer. Just take some time to pray as you are, not how you hope to be. How I pray before God is very rarely how I would ever seek to pray in public because it would discourage everyone. But when I begin to be truthful, that darkness that was at about 100 here dropped down to about a 40 or 50 because it got brought out into the light. So rather than just rehearsing these narratives 
I spoke these narratives before the divine, before the almighty, and created some space for the Holy Spirit to maybe suggest that I was looking at some things wrongly or certainly in unhealthy ways. But that only happened by praying who I was, not who I wished I could be. I wished I was a man like Elijah, praying for miracles full of faith. Oh, no, actually, no, he got really depressed, didn't he? Sat under a tree and wanted to give up. Yeah, I've been like Elijah. Scratch that metaphor. I want to be like someone else now, (laughs) someone a little bit more powerful. But the point is, sometimes I only get there by letting God know how how, how low my faith actually is. Sometimes I only move to the next season by letting God know how desperately I'm looking for a reason to quit and to give up. And unless I speak that out, it begins to overtake my soul, and I even enter into real clinical depression over it. And again, I am not trying to say I'm a therapist or a doctor. You do what your doctor's trying to tell you, tells you to do. I've taken medication before it. I'm not down on that. But what I am saying is, sometimes walking outside and just being honest can be extremely therapeutic and healing to the mental health. So pray as you are, not as you, how you hope to be. And number five, this may seem out of place here, but honor and value your relationships, my friends. The end of the day, the younger you are, the more people that will be at your funeral. Just the fact, I don't care how noble you are, the longer you're on this earth, the likelihood there's gonna be smaller crowds at your funeral. I've been doing funerals professionally for years now. That is consistently true. So at the end of the day, there are maybe five or 10 people that are actually gonna know how impoverished the world's gonna be without you. And that's it. All the rest of them will have ideas, but they're all gonna be shallow and surfacey. I'm not saying that they don't love you, they don't honor you, but it's really only a small group of people that are going to understand what grace was present on earth while you walked on it. Honor those people. Honor those relationships. Value and prioritize those relationships. Because the clearest way to honor Jesus is to serve the tribe in which he has placed you. That's it. You don't have to go to Africa to honor Jesus. Look around this room and be present for the people here. Honor and serve the tribe in which God has placed you. Now, as we close, Lexio Divina. We're going to wrap up here. There is a, um, there is a uh, link here. Obviously, it's a long link, so you got to make sure you get all the details right because it's not digital. You can't just click it. I saw some of the, our extras in the back punching the, the notes. It won't work that way. But it's simply, here's all Lexio Divina is. is Number one, read a brief passage of Scripture. And you just read through it. Sometimes I read through it twice. Uh, you're encouraged to read through it anywhere from three to five times. Just read through the same passage. Slowly, you read through the passage. You're basically taking a bite of Scripture. This is the reading portion or the Lexio portion of Lexio Divina, which just means divine reading. But it sounds really cool to drop. We all know we just like to drop Latin every once in a while when we can. So then uh, there is, um, you take time to reflect. The Latin for this is meditatio. 
you reflect and meditate on a word or phrase that caught your heart. And what this is, is not, I'm not reading with my rational mind to put together the outline of the passage. I'm reading the sacred text to just see what sacred idea stirs in my heart. It may be the word surrender. It might be the word Jesus. It might be the word love. It might be the word repent. I don't ever know. And honestly, going through the same passage on multiple readings often reflects a different, I mean, creates the opportunity for a different insight. But you pay attention. Whatever that idea is, it just for some reason just kind of stirred you emotionally a little bit, caught your attention. Or you've ever had that experience where something like, I think the phrase we would use, it just jumps out of the page. This is what we're looking for, those moments where something's jumping out at us. And then we're gonna just think about that, pay attention. Hmm, what, what is it about that word? What is it about that phrase? Why is that something that has stirred my heart? Secondly, you respond. You respond in prayer to what God your, t- called your attention to. This is called oratio. Le, uh, lexio, meditatio, oratio, contemplatio. Those are the four movements of Lexio Divina. And so that's just where I respond in prayer, but my prayer isn't about how I'm gonna pay for getting a new starter again on my truck. There's a time and place for those kinds of prayers. This is just prayer that's informed by the reading I just did. Lord, I'm not sure why this word jumped out to me, or maybe I know exactly. Lord, I think, I think this is what maybe you're saying to me. I just speak that out. It's a conversation. And then finally, you take a moment to rest, contemplatio. You rest in the grace of God, contemplating what his word to you might mean. You digest it. Sean and Jamie, come, ready, come up here, get ready to close. Let's just take a moment here And just walk through this for just a minute or two. Again, here is another link that I put in your notes. I put it in there because this person has gathered, or this ministry, I really don't know a lot about it, so I'm not vouching for the ministry. But these articles were really good. Um, They've listed several passages that have been popular Lexio Divina passages throughout the years. It's a great place to start, but here's one of them. So let's all stand up for a minute. Let's just all do a quick reading of this. This will be an abbreviated Lexio. You are the light of the world. A city built upon a hill cannot be hid. No one, after lighting a lamp, puts it under the bushel basket, but on the lampstand, and it gives light to all in the house. And in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. Now, I'm not reading it four times this morning. I will say on the first reading, there were probably two or three things that jumped out of the page to me. The first one, though, was light of the world. You are the light of the world. So I would take a moment to think about that. What are you saying, Lord? What does that mean? Well, I'm immediately reminded of how I like to talk about Jesus being the light of the world because it puts less responsibility on me. But that's not what he said here. He said, no, my, you already, my people, my body, you're the light of the world. So then I might stop and say, Lord, I'm blown away by this. I am your light because I feel like I'm a pretty dim representation most of the time. 
but I understand that I'm being invited into the space where I can no longer use that as an excuse. You're calling me to live by the dignity of that identity that you've given me. And that there are people ordained to see your light because I'm in their life. And I ask that you make me aware of that. So that's the prayer response of the content of your Lexio. And then I would just sit and wait and listen. And I might say, Lord, is there any other word for me today? Most of the time it's silence. So I get up, get my empty coffee cup, pat my pit bull on the head and say, come on in, boy, we got to start our day. It's such a simple process, but it creates space for you to slow down in silence and let the Spirit of God speak.